So John chapter 16, verses 12 to 15 is our passage this morning. And just to set us up, to I guess get us up to speed for this morning's message we saw last week, that Jesus tells his disciples if he doesn't go away, then the advocate's not going to come. So he has to go for the advocate to come. But if Jesus does go away, then he himself will send the advocate to them. And and what's the advocate going to do when he comes? Well, there's two things that Jesus specifies right now. And and the first thing the advocate is going to do is deal with the world. The world that hates and persecutes Jesus' disciples. The world not as in necessarily the world that God loves and that that he sends his salvation to, but the world that is in opposition to his people. So the Spirit is going to deal with that world. And how is he going to do that? By convicting the world, as in a court of law, concerning its sin. And inasmuch as they do not believe in Jesus, and it's going to convict them concerning their righteousness, Inasmuch as Jesus has been proved by his ascension into heaven to be the truly righteous one. The Jews claimed a righteousness. They claimed to be the righteous ones. But they put Jesus to death and God, by raising Jesus from the dead, proved that he is the righteous one. Which means that the world, all of its righteousness, is as filthy rags. And the Spirit will convict the world as in a court of law concerning its guilt and liability to judgment now. Because the ruler of this world has already been judged. So while, while the disciples, when they preach the gospel in the world, that's going to elicit, that's going to provoke a response from the world of, of hatred, of animosity, of persecution. But they need to know that even while the world condemns them, through their very preaching of the gospel, the Spirit is convicting the world so that it's the world that stands condemned and not Jesus' disciples. So this is the good news that, that, that as we feel the condemnation of the world pressing in, we know that we have been justified in God's sight and that in fact it is the world that stands under condemnation and that needs that gospel that we preach, right? And that it is out of that world that God is still calling his sheep. So this work of the Spirit in relation to the world, a convicting work, is still the Spirit's work in advocating for us. Okay, And this is what we need to see. We see the Spirit's going to convict the world. It's like, oh, wonderful, the Spirit's going to do that for the world. But it's for us. It's for our sake. So, in other words, the Spirit does not advocate for the world. The Spirit advocates only for us, only for Jesus' disciples. Jesus doesn't send the advocate to the world. He sends him only to his disciples. Therefore, the Spirit's work, in your your handout, I think this is there, the Spirit's work of convicting the world. That sounds like a negative work, and it is. But it's part of his work in advocating for you. Positive. And so in the Spirit's work as our advocate, we see the reality that God is for us. And if God is for us, brothers and sisters, who can be against us? This morning then, Jesus turns to a different way that the Spirit will advocate for his disciples. This time, not in relation to the world. This time, direct with us. Okay, And that's what we're going to see this morning. We start in verse 12 of chapter 16. I still have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And what do you think of that? When do you hear that? What do you think? You have questions, right? I mean, Jesus has been with the disciples for close to three years now. Three years. Like constant, living with, doing life with. And during all that time, he's been always teaching the disciples, instructing the disciples, discipling the disciples, investing, pouring into their lives, and yet now it's the end, okay? There's only a few hours now remaining before the cross, and Jesus says, at this point, 
I still have many more things to say to you. How can that be? When actually, just a few minutes ago, just a few minutes earlier, Jesus said to his disciples, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for how many things? All things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Right? Now, if Jesus has made known all things that he heard from his father to the disciples, what else could there possibly be to tell them? Right? How can he say, in fact, he doesn't say, oh, I just have a few more things. I I have many more things to say to you. (laughs) How can that be? What are these things Jesus still has to say? I still have many more things to say to you, Jesus says, but you cannot bear them now. So, this is our first clue. The problem is not that there hasn't been enough time, obviously. It's not that Jesus ran out of time. That if we could just postpone the cross for a little bit longer, uh, then Jesus could get everything in. The problem, if we can call it that, is back to that familiar, familiar issue in John, especially, is the date on the calendar, right? You cannot, you cannot bear all the things that I still have to say to you now. Now refers to the time that's before the full inbreaking of Jesus' kingdom. So... It hasn't, that hasn't happened yet, so you can't bear the things I have to say to you. And some of us, I think, maybe we would want to say, I don't know, try us. Right? Just to see if this works. Why don't we find out? And Jesus says, I don't need to find out. I already know. You can't bear it now. Because it's this date. Now is the time before the death and the burial and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus and his pouring out of the Holy Spirit and all of that. Now is the time before that. As of that date, on God's redemptive historical calendar, the disciples cannot bear them many things Jesus still has to say to them. In other words, they couldn't take it in. They couldn't ultimately even conceive of the things Jesus had to say to them, even were he to say it to them. So, I mean, you could say, try me, and Jesus could say, okay, I will tell it to you plainly. And the fact is, if he had told it to them plainly, the disciples could not have borne it. Now, do we struggle with that a bit? Don't we? Because uh, I think we have this idea that the Christian faith is just about, a, it's just about certain facts and things then if he had told them that they've got brains, they can comprehend, they could have got it. It's deeper than that. It's, it's more than that. They might be on the very eve of the day when they could bear it, right? On the very eve of the day. But it doesn't matter how close they are. It doesn't matter it's only hours away, as it were. What matters is it's not here yet. And so they cannot bear it. What does that tell you then? Here now, What does that tell you about these many more things Jesus still has to say to his disciples? What are they? Well, in your handout, they must all have to do with the fullness of redemption. Fullness. In Jesus. With the summing up, finally, of all things in him, in the fullness of time. Right? That's what they must have to do with. But, but again, Jesus, hasn't he already made known to his disciples all things that he heard from his father? I keep, we keep coming back to that. Jesus said, I, I have told you everything. And then he says, I have so much more I have, I have to tell you. Well, how, how can that be? This begs another question. If the disciples cannot bear the things Jesus still has to say to them, My question is, have they really even been able to bear the things he's already said? 
Jesus says, you can't bear the things that I still have to say to you. And we're thinking, wait a minute, I don't know if they've been able to bear the things he said already. So let's look at chapter 13. Beginning with this, you know, the second part of John where it's just Jesus and the disciples. That's it now. So chapter 13. Jesus said to Peter, What I do in in washing your feet, you do not realize now. This this now. But you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet, proving Jesus' point. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. Peter's not getting it, right? But what we need to see is that the, the, the problem here is that this is not just a matter of bare knowledge. Like, I could just explain something factually to Peter's head, right, and get it there. And he can, he can comprehend. He's a smart guy. Neither is this simply a matter of stubborn obstinacy. Peter is not just being a, a stubborn guy saying, I refuse to get it, right? So what's going on here? Peter doesn't understand because his faith is not yet fully formed. His faith is not fully formed. And why is his faith cannot possibly be fully formed until the great redemptive realities that are the substance of our faith have been fully accomplished? So, so Peter is at this redemptive historical infancy, infancy stage. His faith is not fully formed. It can't be. Because the realities of our redemption have not been fully accomplished. I want you to get, I want you to get in Peter's shoes and feel for him. Feel where he was. That's why he can't understand. But then we also ask, yeah, but couldn't Jesus have talked a little more plainly? Couldn't he have said things a little more explicit-like, right? John chapter 13, Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? He's already told them. Mm, kind of, we, would, we think explicitly. Right? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Jesus, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. We see, again, more not able, apparently, to bear what Jesus says. In chapter 14, Jesus says to the disciples, here's an exchange between Thomas and uh, Philip. Um, Jesus says, you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip now said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? And yet you have not come to know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Now there is rebuke in Jesus' words, isn't there? There's some rebuke there. Do you not believe? Which is also to say, do you not understand? With the understanding of faith, we're not talking about mere, now our brains have to be engaged. We can't bypass the brain, right? But, but see, we're not talking about the mere communication of facts to the brain. We're talking about the communication of truth to the heart to be believed and understood. That Peter will deny Jesus three times. Yeah, that's going to be a failing on Peter's part. That's a big time failing for Peter, right? 
And yet, for all the disciples were accountable for, there's still this inevitable reality that they couldn't understand. Right? They couldn't understand. And that's because their faith had not yet been fully formed. And their faith can't be fully formed until the redemptive realities that are the substance of our faith have been fully accomplished. That's where he is. Notice Jesus doesn't tell his disciples, he doesn't say, you don't believe. You you guys, you just don't even believe. He says, do you not believe? It's a question. In other words, he's challenging them to believe more fully. He would say the same thing to us, wouldn't he? Wouldn't he say to you, do you not believe? And he invites you then to ask yourself, oh, do I? Do I understand? Because believing is about understanding. He invites them, challenges them to believe more fully to the extent that they were then able... And so to understand more fully. So we come to verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? You see how much they, they, don't, they, they don't understand. And this is a fair question. I would ask the question too, I think, if I were Judas. But even though Jesus answers the question, if you go on, you read Jesus' answer, Jesus uh, Judas, I guarantee you, is going to be left thinking, I think he just answered my question. Or, or did he answer my question? He's going to be left thinking, I'm still missing something. Even though Jesus answers the question, Judas will not be able to believe and understand fully until later. But the fault is not in Jesus' answer. Here's the thing. It's not like Jesus, it's Jesus' fault. Because Jesus should have been more clear. He could have done a better job explaining And it's not going to be all Judas's fault. Like Judas is being obstinate and stubborn and he's so carnal-minded he just can't get what Jesus is saying. No, it's not Jesus' fault. It's not completely Judas' fault. What's the problem? John 16, verses 17 to 18. Some of his disciples then said to one another, What is this thing he is telling us? A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the Father, so they were saying, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Later, the disciples actually expressed some confidence in what they have believed and what they have understood. And as soon as they do that, Jesus challenges them, right? I mean, so far we've seen them saying, I don't, I don't get this. Then the moment they say, I get this. Jesus says, do you really? Look at verses 30 to 32. We know that you know all things, so we, we understand. And that you have no need for anyone to question you. By this, we believe that you come from God. We know, we understand, we believe. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. So, you know, the disciples say, we have understood, we have believed. Jesus responds, not by telling them, no, you don't. He doesn't say that, because I don't, that wouldn't be true. He says, rather, he, he rather questions how fully they have believed. And therefore, how much they truly understand. Brothers and sisters, believing is not just a matter of believing like this. We know that, right? But, but this needs to be pressed home to us. That even if we do believe fully, we need to believe more fully. So that as we believe, our understanding then is the result that grows, that that then we then live in light of those things we've believed and understood. This is a lifelong process of believing. Now, the disciples are all going to be scattered. And that's going to be a failing on their part. They should have done better. And yet, for all they were accountable for, there was still this inevitable reality 
they could not understand because of the date on the calendar. And that because their faith had not yet been fully formed. And that because the realities and the substance of their faith had not yet been fully accomplished. Jesus acknowledges this just a few verses later in this chapter. And we're going to spend, when we get to this in a couple weeks, um, we'll have already done the work on it. So verse 25 says, These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming... Okay, date on the calendar again. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly of the Father. And again, we we hear that and we automatically think, why take the time to talk to them in figurative language now? Why don't you talk plainly now? Figurative language is language that here, the basic idea is it's not plain. All right? It's not obvious. It's language where the full meaning doesn't lie transparently on the surface. But it's veiled and hidden. And again, we ask, why would Jesus talk like that? Why would he talk with language that hides? Language that covers? Language where the meaning is not transparently on the surface? Well, let's just be aware. Figurative language, when, it, when Jesus speaks it, is not defective. Sometimes I think we could think of figurative language as, as well as it's, it's, it's not quite so pure, it's not quite so clean, it's not quite so perfect. But figurative language, when Jesus speaks it, perfectly reveals, even at the same time that it hides. So the figurative language that Jesus was using was language perfectly suited to communicate perfect realities, right? But even as it was suited for that, it was hiding. But it only was hiding because of the date on the calendar. So why does Jesus speak of the Father in veiled language? That's what the question I have for you is, why would he do that? Why doesn't he speak transparently and plainly now? And the answer is this. Brothers and sisters, this is what we need to to work at grasping. The answer is because he himself is still veiled and hidden. By his own fleshly weakness. What did Jesus just say to Thomas, I think it was? Hey, Thomas. Don't, don't, you, don't you realize if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Well, well, then they looked at Jesus and they saw a man looked like everyone else. Jesus himself was still hidden. And so Jesus called Thomas to believe with a, with a measure of faith, but knowing that the full measure of faith was not possible so long as Jesus himself remained veiled and hidden in fleshly weakness. So because Jesus is hidden, therefore, he speaks in figurative and veiled language. During the days of his flesh, Jesus was a full, perfect revelation of the Father. Was was Jesus inadequate in his revelation? No, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Period. Even in his fleshly weakness. But yet, in his fleshly weakness, Jesus was hidden from the disciples. See? Perfect revelation, and yet hidden. John says at the beginning of John, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of truth, right? But yet he was hidden from them in fleshly weakness. My question then to you is this, and I ask you this, and you think, how would you answer this question? How can Jesus speak to his disciples directly, plainly about the Father When he himself, who is the eternal word of the Father, remains veiled. You see, this was not so much a choice Jesus made. Well, I've decided to do it this way, as it was a consequence of the way things were. To think that he could have spoken plainly then would be to forget the point is not just a proposition and head knowledge, but, but believing and understanding. 
So until the veil of Jesus' own fleshly weakness has been lifted, until he has been exalted and glorified at the right hand of the Father, the disciples cannot believe or understand in your handout. Until the veil of Jesus' fleshly weakness has been lifted, all direct, plain speech about the Father, about the fullness of salvation still to be revealed in Jesus, is by definition impossible for the disciples to bear. Even redemptive historically, wholly out of place. So Jesus says to the disciples, speaks to the disciples now with figurative language. Language that all along is perfectly revealing, even as it's hiding. Language that all along is calling the disciples to believe. Believe, Thomas, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Believe and understand. And yet all the while knows that Thomas can never fully believe and understand as long as Jesus is veiled in his fleshly weakness. Jesus says that he still has many things to say to his disciples. But they cannot bear them now. Jesus says that he speaks to his disciples now in figurative language, but later an hour is coming when he'll tell them plainly of the Father. Brothers and sisters, this explains the answer to our riddle. How can Jesus say to his disciples in chapter 15, all things that I've heard from my Father I've already told you. I've already told it all to you. How can he say that? What are the many more things he still has to say? Well, in your handout, they're ultimately all the same things that he said already. Only now. Fully unveiled. Only now, clearly and even comprehensively explained. Because he himself will no longer be veiled in fleshly weakness, but exalted and glorified at the right hand of the Father. See, once Jesus has been exalted and glorified and revealed in all his glory, then the language that he spoke with figuratively can be unpacked and explained in its fullness. Only when the great redemptive realities that are the substance of our faith have been fully accomplished can the disciples fully believe and fully understand? Do you fully believe and fully understand as those disciples couldn't? Jesus said to the disciples on the night before his crucifixion, the night before his crucifixion, I still have many more things to say to you. Many more things, but you cannot bear them now. And then Jesus says this, but when he, the advocate, the spirit of truth comes He will guide you into all the truth. I'm going to skip the first point there for the people on the the PowerPoint. But um, the point here is not new truth. Sometimes we read that, we think he's going to guide me into, into truth, subjectively, maybe even new truth, whatever the truth is. But the point is not new truth, it's not new revelation. Because that would require us, brothers and sisters, to go beyond the ultimate climactic revelation of the truth that's already been given to us in Jesus, right? We already have the truth fully given to us in Jesus. The point then is our full entrance into, our full belief in and understanding of that revelation that's already been given once for all that's now been clearly comprehensively explained to us by the spirit in other words if you want to know what the work of the spirit is it is not to give you new truth but rather to guide you into the truth that has all already been given all of it We live in the day when all truth has been given. All truth 
has been revealed. Not all truth about facts of, of math and science. There's still more for people to find out. And, but all, all truth about God's salvation, about his redemptive plan, has been made known. There is no more truth for us to find. But we must, we must be enabled, we must be guided into this truth. John chapter 14, verse 6 says, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. So in Jesus, the truth came in all its fullness. No one comes to the Father but through me. The author of Hebrews says in in Hebrews chapter 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us uh, in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And now we have, we have fully believed and fully understood this final word that God has spoken. It's completed, finished revelation. And why do we believe and why do we understand? Because Jesus kept his promise and sent us the Spirit. He sent us the Advocate. And because he now guides us into all the truth. We see again our dependence upon God even for believing. Our dependence on God for understanding this truth. For, for, for laying hold of it. Jesus continues now in verse 13, the second half. For he will not speak from himself, the the Spirit will not, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Does that sound familiar to you? We've been going through John long enough. Does that sound familiar? How many times have we heard Jesus say the same thing himself? I'm only going to read just a couple examples. There's many more. John 5, I can do nothing from myself as I hear a judge. The things which I heard from him, these I am saying to the world. I do nothing from myself, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. I did not speak from myself, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. And then this verse we've quoted a couple times. All things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Therefore, when Jesus says now of the spirit of truth, he will not speak from himself. But whatever he hears, he will speak. What do you see in that? Ah, the work of the Spirit is going to be bound up in every way with the fullness of revelation that's already come in Jesus. Jesus said, I will not speak for myself, only what I hear from the Father. Then he says, when I send you the Spirit, he'll only speak what he hears. And so he'll continue the work of revelation that Jesus accomplished. He will lead us into that revelation that Jesus has brought. So, God, God's wisdom, God's wonderful love and grace where he sent his revelation into the world in the person of Jesus. And then Jesus sends the Spirit to unpack that revelation for us and to lead us into that revelation by his power and grace. So we come to the third, the last part of verse 13. Again, but he, the advocate, the Spirit of truth... When he comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak from himself, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Does that trip us up at all? Do we start thinking that the Spirit's work is to give us prophecies of future events? Because that's not what it's talking about, right? And I, I bet you could figure that out by now. When Jesus says, now let's look at this. Jesus says, he will guide us into all the truth. That's truth already given. In other words, uh, he will guide you into the already finished, already completed revelation that I brought to you from the Father. Okay. We don't move beyond that, brothers and sisters. We don't look for new stuff. That's what we need to be led into. That's why we come here every Sunday. So that God would, by his Spirit, lead us into that truth given in Jesus. But what then does it mean when Jesus says the Spirit will disclose to the disciples what is to come? 
well, remember the date on the calendar, right? So this isn't about the end times or future events as those things are popularly thought of. What was still to come on that night, as Jesus talked with his disciples hours before his betrayal, is no longer still to come. It's not still to come now. It's already come. That's why Jesus says, he will disclose to you what is to come. But brothers and sisters, it has come now. It has. What was still to come was the salvation already there in Jesus. Fully unveiled. What was still to come was the figurative language giving way to the what? Giving way to the plain. What was still to come was the suffering and dying one veiled in fleshly weakness. And and now what's still to come is him giving way to the exalted and triumphant one revealed in his saving glory. These are the things Jesus still needed to say to his disciples. And yeah, if it was just about facts to the brain, yes, he could have said them plainly then. He could have said it plainly then. He could have said it all then. But it's not just about facts to the brain. It's about truth to the mind and the heart to be understood and believed. And the the disciples could not bear these things yet. These were the things that the Spirit would disclose to the disciples and that the Spirit discloses to us. What is your Christian faith? Is it about a bunch of things you know? Because that's not faith. Yes, we must know. We can never, ever bypass knowing uh, the, the facts of the Christian message. But when, when, we, when we are confronted with this reality that Jesus says, I can't tell you, I can't tell you now, we recognize what the Christian faith is really about. So Jesus says in verses 14 to 15, He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. This is a work of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. It's not something we can do in in our own flesh. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Which is really just to say this. He will take of me. For I am the revelation of the Father. And he will disclose me. And here, it's in parentheses, but these are like the most important words. Plainly comprehensively and savingly to you so that you might fully believe and fully understand. That's the work of the Spirit. And what an awesome and a wonderful work that is that he does in us. So I think this is in your handout. The Spirit glorifies Jesus by disclosing to you and to me the unsearchable riches of his person as the only Savior, now seated in glory at the Father's right hand. And there's the Trinity. The Spirit glorifies Jesus as the only Savior seated in glory at the Father's right hand. That's revelation. Now how does the Spirit do this? Is this just some... As as is popular today, I've I've said already we can't bypass the facts, right? And so it there's 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 a a movement today. I think partly in response to the um, sterile, uh, fact driven only Christianity that is that has been in some circles. There's been a response today that says. Okay, the Spirit leads me into all truth, and so we empty our minds of all facts, and we sit, and we just think about this mystical idea of the Spirit guiding me into the truth, and disclosing to me the things that are to come, and it just somehow happens. And this is not what Jesus is talking about. And we know this. So the first thing we need to know, and that we rejoice to know, 
is there's a primary application of these words to those first 11 disciples of Jesus that does not apply to you and me. The ones that he named as apostles. So Jesus said in chapter 14, remember this? These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Specific content. So the Spirit's going to teach them all things, bringing to their remembrance all that Jesus said to them. But now we know. He's not just reminding them. Remember those words? When Jesus reminds them, what's he doing? He's explaining. When the Spirit reminds them, he is explaining. He is unpacking all those things that he's reminding them of in the full light of now Jesus exalted, no longer in fleshly weakness. So when the Spirit reminds the disciples, he's reminding and at the same time unpacking and at the same time comprehensively explaining those words that he reminds them of. The Spirit cannot bring back to my remembrance the things Jesus said to me. I wasn't there. He didn't talk to me. And if Jesus didn't speak directly to you and he didn't speak directly to me, neither has any of us received a direct redemptive revelation from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has not explained and unpacked infallibly to you the meaning of what Jesus said. Who did, Jesus, who did the Spirit unpack the meaning of what Jesus said to? The apostles to whom Jesus gave this promise. So I'll ask you, think of it like this. Which one of you, seriously, which one of you or, or me can say this with the Apostle Paul? By revelation, there was made known to me the mystery. As I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. Key words here. In The Spirit. None of us could say those things. And aren't you glad that Paul could? We rejoice then to know that the Holy Spirit did guide those original apostles and prophets into how much of the truth? How much of it? All of it. There's no truth that remains, brothers and sisters. Now, does that mean that we've Got it? No, because that truth is so infinite and it is so rich that the Spirit spends the rest of our lives guiding us into that truth in a secondary way. Right? These were the things Jesus still needed to say that the Spirit now guides us into. And so we rejoice to know he's guided those apostles and prophets into all the truth that he did disclose to them all the unsearchable riches of our salvation by speaking plainly to them of all that he heard. Plainly, all that he heard. Of all that belongs to Jesus, now exalted at the Father's right hand. Now, why are we so happy Jesus did that for them? Because he did it for them, not for us. So why are we so happy about that? Well, the Apostle Peter writes this. I mean, here we are talking about it. How did this happen? First Peter chapter 1, verse 12. It was revealed to the Old Testament prophets that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been disclosed. There's that word. Jesus said he will disclose to you. And now Peter says, they have now been disclosed to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. So put it like this. If the Spirit convicts the world, remember his work with the world? If the Spirit convicts the world as in a court of law by the preaching of the gospel, then the Spirit also guides us into all the truth, all of it, and discloses to us the saving glory of Christ in the same way, in and through the preaching of the gospel. The simple proclamation of the apostolic gospel in that is contained 
all the truth that has come in Jesus. Hmm. What is it? What does Paul say of Jesus? In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's all there. It's all come. It's all there. There's nothing new, nothing more to get. But there is more to be led into. And all of that preaching of that apostolic gospel has been preserved for us, pure and inviolate, in the scriptures. I just want to challenge us then. Not only then do we, is it essential we come and we gather here every Sunday to, to hear the preaching of this gospel so that the Spirit might lead us into the truth. But it's also essential, brothers and sisters, that if, if we have a Bible, that we take it up and that we open it and that we read it. Because it's here that the gospel in all of its fullness is revealed. It's because the gospel, it's because uh, the Spirit leads us into the truth through the preaching of the gospel that Paul can include the Corinthians and he can include us along with himself and the rest of the apostles when he says this. And, and these words are often used to say, oh, heaven's going to be so wonderful, and it is. Um, but we, we, we apply these verses to say, well, heaven's so wonderful, we can't even imagine how wonderful heaven's going to be. And that's just a... We need to get rid of that interpretation forever of these verses because we we miss then the true beauty of what these verses say. Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, right? Right? It didn't enter their hearts and minds before. And it wouldn't have entered our hearts and minds except that to us now, God has revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. And the depths of God are revealed in Jesus. So the Spirit takes of Jesus and he discloses all the all the things of Jesus to us. The revelation of God's salvation in Jesus Christ is nothing less than the revelation of the unsearchable depths of God. To know the gospel then is to know that which surpasses knowledge. It's not just about facts in the brain, is it? Because that doesn't surpass my knowledge. Or yours. To know, maybe now then we can better understand what Jesus meant when he said, as we began this morning, I still have many more things to say to you. Now as we apply that today, what would we say? First we could say, he has now said them all. The Spirit has now fully unpacked and explained all the revelation of Jesus. It's all been said. And yet there's another sense in which we could say, and we could still hear Jesus saying to us, I still have many more things to say to you. Or perhaps, you still have many more things to understand. Things that I have revealed and made known, not not new facts necessarily, but to understand and to believe. In other, in other words, we know the Spirit's work in guiding you into all the truth, disclosing to you the glory of Jesus, isn't just a matter of communicating information, but of communicating truth to your heart and mind, truth for you to believe and understand and live. So, Paul writes in Ephesians, For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you in your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you, and I believe this is the correct interpretation, spirit here should be capitalized, 
may give to you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the full knowledge of him. So that you, the eyes of your heart, having been enlightened, will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. These are all the things Jesus still had to say to his disciples, and here we are, we just, we just have it. What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of the might of his strength, which he worked in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Dear Heavenly Father, O oh Lord, we thank you that, that all truth has now been revealed. That it has come in Jesus who lived and walked among us who died, was buried, and is now resurrected and ascended to your right hand. Right now, he sits at your right hand, ruling and reigning, interceding for us. Our great high priest, our advocate on high, and yet we also have an advocate present within us, among us, the spirit of truth, who takes of all that belongs to Jesus. And discloses it to us through the preaching of this apostolic gospel. Lord, may we be a people whose Christianity is not about, in the end, just the things we know. For if that was all it was, Jesus could have told the disciples everything in plain speech. But because that's not what it is, Jesus could not tell his disciples everything in plain speech. Because they couldn't understand and fully believe. Lord, may we who live in this day, when all has been revealed, all has been made known, all truth has come in Christ. Lord, may we enter always more and more fully into that truth by the work of your Spirit in our hearts, in this church, and in your church all throughout this nation and the world. Until Christ comes again. And thank you then we will behold and look and gaze upon his face, he who is the way, the truth, and the life, and through whom we have come to the Father. Lord, if we were to hear Jesus say to us today, do you now believe? I pray, Lord, that we could say with all of our hearts, yes, we have believed. Through the Spirit who has worked in us and is working and will continue to work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.